You're listening to Photographs, Pistols, and Parasols. Support for this project is provided by listeners like you. Visit my website at p3photographers.net for ideas on how you too can become a supporter of the project. Welcome to Photographs, Pistols, and Parasols, the podcast where we celebrate early women artisan photographers. I'm your host, Lee McIntyre. In today's episode, we're going to go on a journey along with a photographer named Ollie Monroe. For more information about any of the women discussed in today's episode, visit my website at p3photographers.net. Hi, everybody. Welcome to today's episode of Photographs, Pistols, and Parasols. Today, we're going to meet a woman named Ali Monroe, a woman of infinite resolve and determination, and a woman whose career in photography spans more than four decades and takes her on a journey across the country several times. Libby Olive Hyten was born in the United States, either in Ohio or Pennsylvania, depending on which record we choose to believe as our reference, because it varies from record to record. But in any case, she was born in 1860, and in 1880, Miss Libby Hyten is living with her mother in Ohio, working as a dressmaker. But by 1885, she's already established herself in Mound Valley, Kansas, as the town's, quote, best photographer, as it says in the newspaper. Oh, before I go on, I should probably have a note about her name. Now, her first name was technically Libby, or at least that's what her family called her. Her middle name was Olive, and for most of her life, and certainly all of her professional life, she goes by Ollie, or after she gets married, Mrs. O.H. Monroe. It was interesting to discover that in the social notices, the ones that seemed to be put in the newspaper by her family, they always referred to her as Libby, but she always referred to herself as Ollie. So I'll be using Ollie as her first name, not Libby, throughout this podcast. Anyway, getting back to her career in 1885 there in Mound Valley, Kansas. One of her ads in the paper reads, quote, if you want a perfect facsimile of your fizz, call on Miss Hyten. Now, fizz is spelled P-H-I-Z. That's a slang for face, and I hadn't heard that before. But it's used frequently, apparently, in the 1880s, and it's used by Miss Hyten in her ad there in Mound Valley. Now, even after she gets married to a man named John R. Monroe on December 31st, 1885, Ollie continues her photographic career. Her husband, J.R., is not a photographer and never becomes one or partners with her. And in fact, throughout the next 46 years of her career, Ollie Monroe mostly runs her studios on her own, although she does have the occasional partner for brief periods, but we'll get to that in a second. Now, this journey of Ollie Monroe that we're going to go on is going to have a few distinct phases. This first phase between 1885 and 1897, we're going to call that the first Kansas phase. And that's when Mrs. Ollie Monroe is busy establishing a chain of branches of her studio throughout Kansas, 
Her home base is always Mound Valley in this period, but she opens up alternate branches in Neodosha and Oswego and other places as well. But then uh, toward the late 1890s, Ollie starts to make frequent trips back to visit relatives in Ohio, particularly Elyria, Ohio. And while she's there, she winds up taking over an established photo gallery in Elyria. Eventually, she sells off or closes her Kansas studios, and she moves to Ohio permanently by 1900. And this begins her true Ohio phase, although it has literally started a little bit earlier when she's going back and forth between Kansas and Ohio because she sets up shop in Elyria uh, in the late 1890s. In this Ohio phase of her career, we see her successfully running uh, the popular Monroe studio in Elyria through about 1908, 1909, into 1909, I guess. Now, unlike in Kansas, she doesn't seem to have multiple photo studio branches in Ohio. But during this period, she is also simultaneously running a vaudeville and movie theater, although she eventually turns over the theater management to her eldest son, Wiley, around 1907 or so, at which point he is 21 and already married. Now, the end of that Ohio phase, uh, I said, is in 1909, and it's a bit of a tumultuous year, which sees Ollie and her family leaving Ohio and briefly heading west to Seattle. But then in 1910, Ollie goes back to Kansas, uh, and that starts our Kansas phase part two, because this time she settles in Coffeyville, Kansas, where she winds up running another photo studio. And that's one of the periods where she's partnering with a man who is not a relative. But that's one of the few times we see that, and it's only for a few months because eventually she's bought out that partner and going alone uh, in Coffeyville after that. Now, as we'll see shortly, she actually will wind up having additional male partners over the next few years, but mostly that will be in a combination of one or more of her sons. Okay, so we're in Kansas in her phase two Kansas period. This is after the Ohio phase. And again, not only does Ali open up that photography studio in Coffeyville, but by the end of the year, she and her middle son, Charles, have actually taken charge of the Princess Theater, which is another vaudeville and movie theater there in Coffeyville. According to the newspaper accounts, which may have been publicity releases uh, by Mrs. Monroe, but anyway, in the newspaper, the headlines proclaim that she and her son, Charles, have succeeded where others have failed according to the management of that Princess Theater. Um, it's a really kind of over-the-top little newspaper account published in 1910. Now, her youngest son, Harry, has by this time trained to be a pianist, and he joins his mother and his brother Charles in Coffeyville to work at that theater. At the same time, Ollie and her two sons briefly form a partnership to run a photography studio together in Coffeyville uh, called Mrs. Moreau and Sons, plural, but by the end of the summer, that has dissolved, um, leaving Mrs. Monroe on her own again with the studio. And at some point, she and Charles also stopped managing that theater. But also during this Kansas Phase 2 period, Mrs. Monroe opens a branch studio in Oswego, Kansas, where she'd actually had one earlier during that Kansas Phase 1 period years before. And so then she and Charles start managing a star photo studio in a different town, Clay Center, Kansas, during this same period as well. Now, 
there's a mystery year where apparently she's been goes to California and comes back. Um, she may or may not have been running anything. Uh, my husband Chris and I haven't tracked down anything for that period yet for her. But after a year, she's back in the Midwest, announced in the papers that she's back from her year in California. And now she's in Oklahoma, which starts her Oklahoma phase. She opens up her first studio in Oklahoma, in Bartlesville, Oklahoma, and then uh, opens up a branch in Tulsa. She also apparently owns quite a bit of property in Miami, Oklahoma, and years before had been interested in pursuing some sort of claim on land when people were doing the home claims, the settling of the land. But it's not clear whatever happened with that because that was in a different town where it's never mentioned she has a photo studio. When she gets to Tulsa, she at one point is actually competing against her son, Charles, because they're both running competing studios in Tulsa. But then after he gets married and apparently his wife joins the photography business as well, the whole family joins forces again and they're running the Monroe studio in Tulsa together. Then Charles and his wife, Julia, they head to California, where his wife was actually from. And there's an interesting notice in the Coffeyville, Kansas papers in the summer of 1919 that Mrs. Monroe, her son, her daughter-in-law, Julia, um, plus another couple are going to take a motor trip in two automobiles going from Tulsa to Los Angeles. And they're going to be coming through Coffeyville, Kansas along the way. So you know, hopefully visiting people that they knew when they were there in the past. Now, if you're like me, it may have struck you a little bit odd that the route from Tulsa, Oklahoma to Los Angeles would take them through Coffeyville, Kansas. But consider, um, if you look at the map, Coffeyville turns out to be almost due north of Tulsa. So it's not that much of an eastern detour to go there from Tulsa. And we're talking about 1919. There are no interstates in 1919, and it's possible that the best route to the west meant first going north from Tulsa anyway. Now, I don't know if I've ever mentioned here on the podcast, but um, Emily Post, yes, that Emily Post, the one about the etiquette. Well, before she had the etiquette column, she wrote a, a really fascinating account of a trip that she and her son took driving across the U.S. from east to west in 1916. I'll include a link to it, uh, uh, some more information about that in the episode notes for today, because I highly recommend it. It's really fascinating. As Chris and I were driving across country uh, a few years ago, Chris actually read to me um, as we were driving uh, across on the interstates and the accounts of the muddy, unpaved roads and the difficulties finding places to stay, find places to eat circa 1916 really highlighted how different our journey was in the 21st century by car. This could have been one of the factors that made it seem sensible to actually go from Tulsa to Coffeyville, Kansas, and then head west. But I digress. I mean, I really want to talk a little more about Mrs. Moreau, because the notices in the paper imply that Mrs. Moreau is only temporarily closing her studio in Tulsa that summer of 1919. But in fact, by 1920, it would seem that Mrs. Moreau has actually joined her son, Charles, and his wife, Julia, who are running that photography studio in Los Angeles. Oh, by the way, one other thing that really comes across throughout Mrs. Monroe's career from the notices in the newspaper is that typically in the summer months, it was just too hot in Kansas or Ohio or Oklahoma to actually run the studio. So there'll be notices about how it's shutting down for the summer. I hadn't really thought about it before, but 
actually seeing all those notices of Ollie's studios shutting down for the summer just reminded me, number one, of how hot it really is in the Midwest in the summer. I mean, I lived in Iowa for eight years, and I can attest it is beastly hot in the summer. And two, how hot it would have been in a photography studio, and particularly working in a dark room without any air conditioning or windows. Yeah, I could see why you might want to shut down the photography studios in the summer. But anyway, let's go back to Ollie's journey. Now, she spends the 1920s, apparently, in California working as a photographer. But the only records that we have found so far where she shows up during this period are just the voter registration records. The online digital copies of California directories from the 1920s are a little bit spotty, and we can't find any trace of either Ollie or Charles or Julia even though we know that they were working in California during this period in L.A. and maybe Huntington Beach. Now, Huntington Beach is where Ollie is registered as Republican uh, in the 1920s. But we can tell from census records that Charles and Julia Monroe have been running a studio in Los Angeles during this period, during this whole period uh, from 1920 to 1930. And we can also see in Mrs. Ollie Monroe's obituary in 1931 that says she spent the last 12 years in California working as a photographer. So that's the bare bones of the story of Mrs. Ollie Monroe and her journey as a photographer, as a businesswoman, and as someone who actually literally journeyed across the country doing different jobs and having different studios throughout this period. Wow, that was quite a career, wouldn't you say? But I've only been able to bring you the bare bones outline of Mrs. Monroe's career, actually. And Chris and I have found hundreds of clips about Mrs. Ali Monroe, and there are several stories and bits of information that I really want to bring you, but that's going to have to wait until the next episode. But I guess for anyone who has at least a 46-year career in photography, it really does deserve two episodes. So I hope you'll join me next time. For today's episode, though, look to the episode notes for some of the clippings related to what I've talked about today, as well as a couple of studio portraits that Kristen and I found on eBay taken by Mrs. O.H. Monroe. Plus, I'll include some more information on how to find that book by Emily Post about her 1916 automobile trip. Now, her book is called My Motor to the Golden Gate, and it is available for free on the Internet Archive. I'll include a link to that. As usual, you can find all of that information over on my website at p3photographers.net. That's letter P, number three, photographers.net. If you have any questions or just want to drop me a line, write to me at podcast at p3photographers.net. And remember, you can connect with me on Facebook at facebook.com p3photographers. Now, in part two of Ollie Monroe's journey, we're going to be finding out some more details about her life and career, including many triumphs and also a few tragedies. Stories will include things like why Ollie gave away a free baby, how Ollie got arrested, and no, it wasn't for giving away that baby. We'll also find out more about Ollie's photographic successes, including what I consider her masterful 1906 publication. So look for all of that in the next episode. But that's it for today. As always, thank you for stopping by. Until next time, I'm Lee, and this is Photographs, Pistols, and Parasols. <laughs>